creation waits for its moment. Can a nation be saved in a day? Can a country rise in a moment? Every nation waits for its time. And this gospel will be preached to all nations, and then the end will come. All of heaven waits for its church. The legends of the faith are waiting and watching for the church to finish what they started. The Creator waits for you. We stand in an unprecedented time when any person on the planet can be impacted face to face, when entire nations can be reached with a click. No other generation could say this. In this new era, we must dream with heaven's scope to influence the influencers, alter the message of the messengers, unify the divided and disciple nations. Since the birth of this movement in 2013, One Nation One Day has swept across three nations, mobilizing 8,000 international missionaries, reaching more than 2.5 million people face-to-face, -face, and millions more through media. Together, we stood in awe as entire nations encountered historic national reconciliation, measurable change, and sustainable follow-up. Now, the movement advances to a new continent, a new nation, home to the third largest city in the Western Hemisphere, the longest river on the planet, peaks that stretch above the clouds, one of the seven new wonders of the world, unreached people groups, unparalleled culture, and 30 million people waiting. One Nation One Day is uniting local churches from across the globe with the goal of sending 5,000 missionaries to join 5,000 Peruvian team members assembling the largest missions team in history. 10,000 missionaries of all ages and all spheres of influence will be placed strategically throughout the nation with the goal to reach millions of people face to face. In cooperation with the government, the schools of the nation will open to our teams. Hundreds of medical professionals will serve thousands of families in free clinics, and additional relief programs will embrace communities in extreme need, opening the heart of the nation. Because the hero of One Nation One Day has always been the local church, thousands of pastors will carry this vision of transformation and unite in national leaders' conferences to be equipped, empowered, and positioned to lead. Then, on June 29, 2019, in the largest venues across the cities, the jungles, and the highlands, the nation will unite with one vision and one voice. Broadcasted live across the nation, millions will hear the message and commit to the movement that will shape the future. Can Peru be saved in one day? This moment will be recorded in the history books of heaven as the most significant spiritual moment in the history of this nation. I just love that video. Isn't that great? So good to see all of you today. Um, can everyone hear me good enough? I just feel like I'm a little soft up here. So if, if you could give me a little bit more juice. All right. That's good. It's getting better. See, the louder I am, the more you listen. Amen? You know, I want to show you a picture. This is uh, the first group that left on the bus 
uh, on their way to LAX to hop on a plane to go, and they're now in Peru. They're now preaching. Look how energized, exciting they are. Can I only tell you that after they got off the plane in Cusco, it looked like a scene from The Walking Dead. They were tired, and except for Natalie right there, Natalie was just always uh, on fire. I don't know what's going on in her, but, but thank you for praying. Thank you for sending. Thank you for supporting this effort uh, to be in Peru and to see a nation transformed. That might sound like I'm saying too much, that you really can't transform a nation in a week. But let me just give you an example for Honduras. Honduras uh, was the, the murder capital of the world. Uh, one nation one day went in there, they did a week crusade, the murder rate dropped to one half and it stayed there and is still declining. Now let me tell you, if you don't think that's transformation, I don't know what is. Today we're going to talk about nations and how nations are transformed. And this might be a little bit different kind of approach than you've uh, ever had to looking at the Word of God. But uh, as Tammy said, put on your seat belts, get out a piece of paper, jot some notes down, because I think you're going to find this to be really fascinating. If I take you back to the book of Genesis, chapter 12, we encounter a man by the name of Abram, whose name would be changed later to Abraham, which means the father of a nation. God comes to him in chapter 12, and he says to Abraham, I'm calling you out, and you're going to be the father of a great nation. And I'm going to bless those who bless you, and I'm going to curse those who curse you. And in you, watch this, all the families of the earth will be blessed. Guess what? You're a family of the earth. You're blessed through Abraham's obedience in faith. Later in chapter 18, God repeats it again and says, in you all the nations of the earth will be blessed. Now I'm going to jump forward to chapter 22, and we're going to go back to Abraham, and I'm going to set up the story before we read the text. So the story is Abraham now has a son by the name of Isaac. He's the son of a promise. He's the only son that he has. And he came as a miracle from God, really, in, in so many ways. And God comes to him, and he says, I want you to take your son, your only son, take him up on the mountain where I will show you, and I want you to offer him there unto me. Many of you know this story. And so Abraham goes, and he takes his son, and, his, and there's so many pictures of the coming Messiah. I just want to point them out to you as we go. So as Jesus was the only son, so Abraham had an only son. Abraham was told to take him to a mountain and offer him there as a sacrifice, just as Christ was taken to a mountain and offered as a sacrifice. As he went there, uh, he got to the base of the mountain, and he told the two servants that were with him, you stay here, and I and the boy will go worship, and we will return. Now, Abraham fully knew what was going to happen. He was going to offer him as a sacrifice, which seems very unusual, and indeed it is. But he also had the belief that he and the son were going to return. The book of Hebrews later tells us that he believed that God could even raise the dead. So they go up, and Abraham takes the wood. He puts it on the back of his son, Isaac, a picture of Christ carrying his own cross. They go up to the top of the mountain. Isaac, a pretty bright boy, says, Dad, here's the wood, here's the fire. Where's the sacrifice? He was kind of doing the process of elimination. It looks like it's me. Abraham says this to his son, God himself will provide a sacrifice. 
God himself will provide a sacrifice. In fact, that was the place where God was known as Jehovah Jireh, the Lord who provides. As he took up his knife to be obedient unto God, God stopped him. He showed him a ram stuck in the thicket, and they sacrificed unto the Lord, and that became the place where God firmly sealed in the faith of Abraham and the destiny, not only of Israel, the nation, but the nations. And I want you to see that God has a heart for nations, but it really comes through this idea of redemption. Redemption means that God buys us back. God buys you out of sin by the blood of the Lamb, that you're no longer bound by sin. The penalty of sin has been removed. The power of sin over you has been taken away. And you are now, as the Bible says, set free from that. When you fall into bondage, it's only because you're not taking advantage of what you have from God. So you're not just helpless as a victim, you are actually a victor who needs to establish himself or herself in the position where God has placed you as redeemed, bought with a price, the blood of the Lamb. So the penalty of sin is gone, the power of sin over you is gone, and you have a future in Christ that is secure. So now let's pick up the story in Genesis chapter 22. Now I need you to do me a favor. First service was a little slow on this. We had to give many lessons. But I think you're a little smarter, right? Well, three of you are, okay. I, maybe you're a little bit more awake. Maybe that's the difference, right? When I come to the word nations in a text, I want you just to shout out nations with me. Can you do that? Let's practice nations. Oh, my gosh, you are so good. I don't even know. I thought we'd miss those 60 people, but you know what? I think you all made up for it. Thank you so much. All right, so let's go to Genesis chapter 22. Then the angel of the Lord called Abraham a second time from heaven and said, By myself I have sworn, says the Lord, because you have done this thing, not withheld your son, your only son, blessing I will bless you, multiplying, I will multiply you. Your descendants shall be as the stars of heaven, as the sandwiches on the seashore, and your descendants shall possess the gate of their enemies. Let me stop there for a moment. Do you realize that part of the promise you have as a son and daughter of Abraham by faith, that you possess the gate of the enemy? Now think about that. If you possess the gate, that means the only people that come through that gate are the people you say can come through that gate. If the devil's in your life, it's because you opened the gate. Shut the gate. Can you say that with me? Shut the gate. All right, leave him out. Okay? So you're going to put, you possess the gate of the enemy. Now watch this. And in your seed all, shall all the, shall all the nations, not just America, every nation. Do you realize there's some 50 nations represented in Peru through this one nation one day? Think of that. 10,000, 5,000 Peruvians, 5,000 from around the globe there to see a nation transform. So all the nations of the earth shall be what? What's it say? Blessed. God wants to bless nations. You say, well, I'd like to be blessed. You are. I went into a store the other day. I said, how you doing? And, the, and, and I just, it just repeats. It's the same story. All right. I got to work two extra hours. I have to work 10 hours today. I said, well, they're not going to pay you for those extra two hours, are they? Oh, yeah, they're going to pay me. Okay, help me understand why this is a problem. You get paid. You're so blessed. Are you blessed? Oh, I ask her. 
What? She goes, what? Bless, what? I go, you seem to have a pulse. You have any friends? Yeah. Family? Yeah. You're blessed. Smile chain, got on her face, got happy. I think I am blessed. Good. Let's move on. Okay. So you're blessed. Here's the problem. So many times we want to be blessed, we forget about the blesser. We want God's hand and so much that we don't even want his heart. God wants you to pursue the face of God, the heart of God, and if the blessings come in the way you want them to, then give, re, rejoice, and if they don't, rejoice anyway because he's still God, and you still have more than you ever could imagine, amen? So let's go on a little bit further. Nations are said to be an inheritance of the Lord. Now, let me illustrate this because I have a nine-year-old and a seven-year-old Grant, two grandsons that live in San Diego, and sometimes they like to wrestle me. And I can take them both. I can. Don't doubt. I can take them both at one time with one hand. In fact, when they hit me, it's like a flea hitting me. I mean, I, I got to enjoy success while I got success. Amen? I mean, because when they hit about 16, it's going to take a little longer. Right, but I'm I'm prone to cheat. I'll cheat, you know, I'll, to win. I'll cheat when I wrestle with those guys. I'm I'm telling you right now. So anyway, they come and they hit me with all their force, and then and then I'll laugh, because they got they got nothing. You got nothing. You got like 20 pounds. I got a toe that weighs 20 pounds. You got to be kidding me, right? Well, now why am I telling you this story? Because I want to take you to Psalm chapter two. And we'll look at a verse here in a moment, but I want to read the context of it so you kind of get the feel for what's going on. And Psalm chapter 2 is what we call a messianic psalm. That means it, it relates to, it teaches us about the coming Messiah. All right, Psalm chapter 2. Why do the nations rage? We got nations raging right now. Just had a, a spy uh, drone shot down over the Strait of Amos, and guess what? Now we've got a no-fly zone over Iran. Why? Because nations are in a rage. If you let nations be in, being in a rage cause you to be upset, you're missing out on the sovereignty of God. Nations are always in a rage. Somebody's always upset. Somebody's always threatened. Somebody's economy's always bad. Do not let circumstances determine your joy. Amen? Don't let those things because it'll rob you of your joy. Why do the nations rage and the people imagine a vain thing? You know what vain is? It's a word, vanity. It means chasing the wind. Why do people chase the wind? Have you ever tried to catch the wind? It's impossible to catch the wind. The kings of the earth set themselves. These are the great rulers. They set themselves. They said, we're going to set ourselves against God. And it says the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed. So they say, we don't, you know, we don't care about God. We have our nation to run. We have our things that are important. We don't have time for him. And then they said, let us break their bonds in pieces and cast away the cords. In other words, we don't want any restraint on us. Have you ever said that? Gosh, why does God just have all these rules in here? I, I just want to do what I want to do. Have you ever done what you wanted to do and it didn't work well? Right? And you go back, you go like, oh, I'm going to try that again. No, if it didn't work the first time, it's not going to work this time. Amen? But now watch this. Now here's a story to illustrate the boys, okay, the grandbabies. He who sits in the heavens shall laugh. 
God sees all the maneuvering of all the political leaders and all the great men of the earth, and he laughs. He goes, that's all you got? That's it? And it says, and he shall bring them to derision. You know what that means? Confusion. And distress them in his great deep pleasure. Yet I have set my king on my holy hill, Mount Zion. In other words, I've got an answer to you setting yourself and rejecting me. I've set my king on his holy hill. I will declare the decree uh, the Lord has said, you are my son. Now let's go to this verse 8. We'll have the scripture up for you. Chapter 2, verse 8. I will declare the decree the Lord has said to me, you are my son. Today I've begotten you. Ask of me and I will give you the you were better in the practice run. Ask of me, and I will give you the for your inheritance and the ends of the earth for your possession. So who is the inheritor of all the nations? It's the Son of God. Guess what? In Christ, all the blessings of God come through Christ to you. Did you hear me? In other words, he said, I'm going to give you the inheritance of the nations through my Son to you. You have authority over nations. You have power over nations. I remember one time Tammy and I were doing a mission trips, uh, some uh, 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 crusade in Romania. We, had, we were smuggling Bibles in in our, in our suitcase. We got stopped there before we even left the country. The guy said, what do you have in the suitcase? And I was prone to, to say, do I lie? You ever had this moment? For a good reason. Well, let me just stop. Let's do a little ethical question. Is it ever right? to lie. Raise your hand if you think it's right to lie. Okay, one liar, liar, pants on fire. Okay, two, they've got three liars to join you here, brother. You've got a small group started. I'm going to raise my hand and say it's right to lie sometimes. Anybody else want to join me now? Oh, now you do. Yeah. Okay. Okay, so let me just spin a scenario, and this is off the subject, but it's a really good ethical kind of a way to look at life. It's 1943. You're living in Holland. You're hiding Jews in your house. The Nazis come to a- and ask you the question, are you hiding any Jews? Is it wrong to lie? No, it's not wrong to lie because you're preserving a higher, a higher purpose, a higher reason, that is life. Life is always supersedes that which is below life. It's a principle, okay? Now, that doesn't give you a reason to lie. Preach said I could lie. I'm going home lying. All right. You're lying now is what you're lying, all right? Okay. So what we want to understand is it says he sits in the heavens and he laughs. Why? Because he brings them into derision. And, and we understand that, that God wants to do something great in our inheritance. And, and God has given you nations. God's given you people. God says just take what I've given you and enjoy what I've given you because nations will one day worship the Lord in totality. Let's go to Psalm chapter 22, verse 27. Take notes. Write these down. You're going to want to see it. All the ends of the earth, the Bible says, of the world shall remember and turn to the Lord. There's going to come a point at which all the nations that enter into the great millennium, and we'll talk about that in a minute, they're going to worship, they're going to remember, oh, I remember that. I remember hearing about that, and I want to worship God in spirit and in truth. They're going to turn to the Lord and the families of the, there it is, say it again, and the families of the, 
shall worship before you. There's families of nations that are going to worship before you. For the kingdom is the Lord's, and he rules over all the what? All the nations. All the nations are his, and God rules over all the nations. For a little bit, for those of you Bible students who want to say a little bit more, Israel is never included in the nations. It's always singular. There is the nation of Israel and all the other nations because God has set the nation of Israel apart for a special blessing under the blessing of Abraham that we read from Genesis chapter 12. It's really interesting when you study it. Let's go to Habakkuk chapter 1 and verse 5. I have to speak quick because we took a little bit extra time in worship, and I was glad we did, but I'll just speed up the, the, the words per minute. Amen? Okay, so Habakkuk 1.5, look among the what? And watch. Keep your eye on nations and watch what I'm doing. It might seem confusing. It might seem there's disorder. It might seem disarray. But I'm doing something. Look what he says. Be utterly astounded, for I will do a work in your days which you would not believe, though it were told you. In other words, if I told you in advance what I'm going to do with nations, you wouldn't believe me. So just watch. Watch and see what I'm going to do. Isn't it interesting that for, for so many years the Berlin Wall stood as a barrier between freedom and slavery and bondage? And yet in a moment it came down not because of a speech of a president. It came down because, whether you know it or not, the Russian Orthodox Church had called a one-year time of prayer for the breaking down of the wall. You tell me that didn't contribute to that wall coming down? Now, God used our president at that time. God used all kinds of things to bring it about. But I believe that, that nations are moved by the prayer of God's people because that's the promise. The most influential person on earth is a person who knows how to pray and get things moving. If you think the great people are the ones that have name or in pop culture or have influence on the earth, you're missing it. The great people, the greatest thing that happens is when you pray and you move nations and you move people. You see, people are powerless against our prayers. Our words they can dispute, they are powerless against our prayers. We need to pray. Nations also will hear the gospel of the kingdom. Now, this is really interesting. I want you to take note of this, the gospel of the kingdom. I'm going to write that down because that's an unusual term that you may not be familiar with, the gospel of the kingdom. We hear the term the gospel, but it adds a little twist on here, the gospel of the kingdom. What's that? You know what kingdom message is? The kingdom message is it's not just about salvation. It's about every aspect of your life. So when we go into Peru and the crime rate drops, that's part of the message of the kingdom. When you make sure that the water that your kids are drinking is clean, that's part of the message of the kingdom. It's not isolated, separated out. When you pick up trash, when you're walking in your car, I came into Bodie Leaf the other day. I saw three people walk by trash. I said, I'm going to pick it up and see if anybody notices me do it. I picked up the trash. The guy stopped. He looked at me, and he opened the door for me. And I thought, okay, that's good. Do you realize that's part of the kingdom? is preserving what God has created, is making better what you have. Do you realize when we fight crime and we make place safer, then you can live a life that's, that, that, that honors God and you can raise your kids in a way that they're happy and healthy and safe? That's part of the gospel of the kingdom. I believe there's a shift happening in our world. I believe that churches and Christians all across the world are getting the idea of the kingdom. It's not about my church it's not about my denomination. It's not about me. It's about the kingdom. There are some people that are believers that don't agree with some of your theology. They're still believers. 
They're not your enemy. Hello. Remember the story where the disciples go out, they find some other disciples who are not part of their band, and they report to Jesus, they tattletale to Jesus. Jesus, we found some people, they weren't about us, and, you know, we told them to quit preaching in your name. Why'd you do that? If they're not against me, they're what? For me. Turn them loose. I'll straighten out doctrine. You just get the message of Jesus out, and it'll take care of itself. Amen? That's the message of the kingdom. So watch what it says here. And the gospel, it says here, uh, of the kingdom will be preached in all the world as a witness to all, how many, what, to what? Nations, and then the end will come. Oh, we've got some, we've got some things going on here we need to figure out. So we're going to draw a little chart here. And I'm going to just put this right here. The gospel of the kingdom is going to be really important. That's the moment we're, we're looking toward. If I put back here, I put a time of tribulation. The Bible says there's coming a tribulation on the earth unlike anyone has ever seen. We know that's seven years in duration. We don't have time to go into it. But we're going to talk a little bit about the gospel of the kingdom. Let's go to Matthew chapter 25. How many, are you all with me? Say, I'm all with me. When the Son of Man comes in his glory. Oh, we've got something happening here now. Second coming. When the Son of Man comes in his glory. You know what the glory is? That is the revealed presence of God. The Bible says that every eye will see him when he comes. Some people say, well, see, we're living in a day when you could do that and we could live stream Jesus coming. That might be true. I really believe, however, that when God wants to make his presence known simultaneously throughout the world on any side of the globe, he doesn't need live stream. And he'd probably be down anyway. When the transcendent God manifests his presence, it is undeniable. When he, when he manifests his presence in the Old Testament, people were so alarmed at it that some of them prepared to die because they said, we have seen the Lord and no one can see the Lord and live. That's why it says, when he comes, the great men of the earth will hide in the caves and try to save themselves from the presence of God. So convicted of their sin, it is return. But it says here, when the Son of Man comes in his glory, all the angels with him, he will sit on the throne of glory. Now, this is really interesting here. So now we have what's called a throne of glory. This is on earth. This is not in heaven. It says he will sit on his throne of glory and all the what? Nations will be gathered before him. Now how does he do that? In Joel chapter 3 it tells us that this will happen in the valley of Jehoshaphat. Is that a representative nations? Is that nations? Is it literal? I don't know what it means. All I know is God says, I'm going to get that done. And watch what he's going to do here. And, I, and they will come before him, and he will separate them one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. You notice he doesn't talk about individuals. He says, I'm going to separate nations. If you read further on this passage, it's the passage it has to do with if you give someone a, cold, a cup of cold water in my name and if you visit somebody in prison, if you feed someone that's poor, you know, poor and all of that, you know, that's not a humanitarian verse. However it's been used or as a missionary verse, it's not. You know, if you keep reading, you know what it says? As you did to the least of these, my brethren. You know, he's talking about the Jews. He says the way that you treat the Jews and the nation of Israel is going to determine whether your nation goes into the millennium.
You see, because the whole thing here is not talking about eternity. It's really talking about the millennium. If I hadn't messed up my whole board there, so I'm going to add, this goes down there. Got it? Okay. So we have a millennial reign here. Who gets a passport into the millennium? Not everyone who goes to the millennium will be saved. Some will come in by, by the virtue of the gospel of the kingdom that allows them to go into the millennium and they can find the message of God in that time period. It's very clear there's lost and saved in the millennial reign. And the reason that it says that Jesus will sit on the throne of his father David in the millennium and rule with a rod of iron, why would he have to rule with a rod of iron if it were all believers and all, all were compliant? So what happens at the end of the thousand-year reign for down here? Great white throne judgment. This is Revelation chapter 20. That's when all the judgment, that's when then all the unbelievers are then sentenced to departing from the presence of God. They're separated from God for all eternity. What precedes it? The gospel of the kingdom preaching. You see, when we go into Peru, guess what? We're going to go into Peru and we're going to, uh, there's teams that are going to be digging wells. They're going to dig 50 wells that week in remote areas. Think of that. That's the gospel of the kingdom. Guess what? In the process of digging wells, they're going to get to tell people about Jesus. But why are they there? To dig a well. Whole containers containing firefighting equipment, even jaws of life, have been sent into Peru. Why? Because that's the gospel of the kingdom. If you're trapped in a car and you need the jaws of life and you're in Peru, what do you do? The gospel of the kingdom says we took care of that for you. Ten of the largest stadiums in all of Peru, 10 out of the 13 stadiums will have a speaker at them. The largest stadium in all of South America is actually in Lima. It's 85, 85 or 82,000 people. We'll be in the third largest stadium. Our church will. I'll be speaking there in Cusco, 43,000 people. Imagine everything is culminating on that day. Leading up to that, we're in the streets, we're ministering, we're laying hands on people. We have, we have doctors and nurses from our church that are ministering medical needs to people. Why? That's the gospel of the kingdom. Are you with me on this? You know, you see what happens is everybody has a part in the kingdom. It's not for preachers and missionaries. It's for God's people. We all are called out to minister in Jesus' name. Amen? And so they're going out and they're ministering. And then on Tuesday, uh, we'll have a women's conference. Tammy will be one of the, is the keynote speaker of that. She'll be speaking in the government building. Then that, that night uh, or that day, that same day, we'll have a business one, uh, business leaders. And, and I'll be speaking. Some other men in our church will be speaking. And, and guess what? We're going to give a message of the kingdom. We're going to talk about how you can be a better businessman. You think that's not the message of the kingdom? Read Proverbs. Are you with me on this? Hey, guess what? If you have a better job and you make more money and you can feed your family, that's a message of the kingdom. Not enough to give somebody the gospel, not give them bread or give them a job. Message of the kingdom. Am I communicating this? All right, you're, you're with me on this? Because we're gonna, we're gonna, I'm gonna go into hyperspeed here in just a moment. All right. Nations will be transformed. Okay, so what happens is we go through this period, we go through the millennia, and guess what? God is transforming nations for eternity. Do you hear me? There, I don't know how it works. I don't know how God organizes nations in eternity, but let's go to Revelation 21, 22. But I saw no temple in it. That's the new Jerusalem. For the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb are its temple. I don't need a building. I got God. Isn't this great? 
And the city had no need for the sun or the moon to shine in it, for the glory of God illuminated it, and the Lamb is its light. Can you imagine the only light you have is the only light you need is Jesus, the Lamb of God. Amen? Put your hands together. Give him glory. The Lamb is its light, and the nations, here it is, look at it, and the nations who are what? Saved. Nations can be saved. I believe we're entering a new era in Christianity where our focus is going to be on nations and not just one village. We're going to start looking at whole nations and going, we need that nation. You say, well, that's great, but what about America? Well, I got good news. One Nation One Day is coming to L.A. next week. We've already agreed to be a part of that great crusade at Dodger Stadium. So if you say, well, I can't go to Peru, well, guess what? You just ran out of excuses. Amen? All right, so let's go. Uh, and the nations who are saved, they shall walk in this light. The kings of the earth will bring their glory and honor into it. Its gates shall not be shut by day. There shall be no night there. And they shall bring the glory and honor of the nations. Nations have a glory. They're going to bring their glory into it. They're going to worship the Lord. Nations are to be discipled. Look at Matthew 28, verses 18 and 20. Jesus came and spoke to them, saying, All authority. How much authority? All authority has been given unto me in heaven and on earth. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all the what? Let, you're getting weak. You're getting tired. It's, you're getting hungry. All right, let's try it again. And make disciples of all the what? We're supposed to disciple nations. Nations. We were sitting in a restaurant a few years ago. In Washington, D.C., I think it's called 1774, something like 76, and it was started in that year, and we're sitting there with a couple of that had joined us. We were in D.C. for some business, and this couple from New York had joined us, and we're sitting there, and our waiter's name was Muhammad, and uh, he came over, and he said, may I help you? And I said, what's your name? He said, Muhammad. I said, yeah, well, that's a bummer of a name right now, isn't it? He started laughing. He said, yeah, my brother's name is Steve. <laughs> he was serious. And uh, we're sitting there, and, and all of a sudden, the couple next to us, um, they looked like they were, you know, Asian of some descent. I, I wasn't really sure what. And they brought a little birthday cake out for the wife. And I've learned enough to, to not take their phone and take their picture, but to use my phone and take their picture. Then I have their contact. It's just a, it's a little thing, but it really works. I take their picture. I said, hey, give me your email, and I'll send this to you. He hands me his card. He's the ambassador uh, to Indonesia, the most Muslim country in the entire planet. Ambassador Patty would later run for president of that nation. We stayed in contact after that lunch, and I told him I'd written some business books that I would be glad to share with him, and he said, please send them, and I sent them to him, and he used uh, one of them to train his embassy staff. Okay, now, now watch this. I did not ever get to witness to Ambassador Patty. Did I fail? No. Do you realize sometimes even just the gesture of a pastor, which he knew I was, with a business book that had Christian principles in it, was for a Muslim in the most Muslim country in the world like shouting Jesus every 30 seconds. You see, we can disciple nations one by one. 
There's, a, there's an influence that every one of you have in your world, and maybe it's from someone who's visiting from another country. Maybe it's someone, maybe it's a time you go into another country. Whatever it is, but you can disciple nations. Look what he says. Jesus came, Matthew 28, and spoke to them, saying, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go, therefore, make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all the things I have commanded you, and, lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. When we get back from Peru that Sunday following, uh, we'll be sharing with you what God did. We're excited. We want you to pray with us. We're excited to hear the testimonies. We'll have pictures and updates, and we'll all rejoice together. Then that following week, I believe that's the 14th of July, we'll start a new series called uh, Kingdom Discipleship. And it's a, it's a 10 series. I, we've got a, a slide here of this new book that uh, I've got that's coming out. It's actually a revision of a book I did. We've added some stuff into it. But what I'm going to do, there's 10 lessons there. I'm going to take each Sunday for 10 weeks. I'm going to teach you those lessons. And then following that, we're going to do some leadership training so you can learn how to disciple someone one-on-one with the Word of God. Here's the four goals of biblical discipleship, just to kind of get you ready. Goal number one is this one, okay? To equip the believer to know the Word of God, to really know it. Once you know it, okay, you can start to run with it. Number two, to equip the believer to be in fellowship with other believers. See, you can't do Christianity apart from the church, from the house. Number three, to equip the believer to understand the structure of the local church, that the local church is key. And number four, sounds like number one, to equip the believer to minister the Word of God. See, what you need to have is a ministry of the Word, not just a ministry, but a ministry of the Word where you're feeding the Word of God back into people's lives. You say, well, I don't know if I'm qualified. Here's, here's how you're qualified to be a disciple. Go through the training. Find someone who knows less than you and teach them what you know. There's always someone who knows less. Amen? You say, well, I'm pretty dumb. Well, find there's somebody dumber. Trust me. But in all seriousness, once you have a tool, you can equip the Word. And guess what? You start discipling someone. Oh, this guy, he's, he's from Iran, and this guy, he's from, he's from Greece, and this guy over here, he's from Turkey. And you start, and all of a sudden, guess what? They're going back. They're taking the gospel back. You're discipling nations. The beauty of America is we got people from every tribe and tongue, and we can disciple nations right here, and we can send them back as undercover missionaries. Amen? Let's try it again. Amen? All right, let's stand together. Ten of us are going to be leaving uh, for Peru. I haven't packed yet. It's pretty typical, isn't it, baby? You're going to go out on a mission. Have you packed? Have you packed your heart with the Spirit of God? Have you packed your mind with the Word of God? Are you packed and ready to go? God, just use me. Can you just say that with me? God, use me. Let's try it again. God, use me. Second part of it. God, make me usable. We're going to sing this song as we do. I just want you to voice that prayer. God, use me and God, make me usable. God, use me. Make me usable, God. I want to be used of the, of the Lord. I want to see the kingdom flourish. I want to see nations come to you in Jesus' name. Let's, let's all sing together.